We're excited to bring you a new season of the Just Admitted podcast. But first, a quick note before we get into the episode. We'll be answering listener questions throughout the season, so please submit any questions for our team of experts to podcast at ivywise.com. Thanks for tuning in. And now for the show. Hi there, and welcome to the semester six premiere of Just Admit It from Ivy Wise, the podcast where former deans and directors of admission give expert insight into the complex college admissions landscape. I'm Tasha, your host for this season. I'm an admissions counselor at Ivy Wise, a former international admission officer at USC, and a former assistant director of international admissions at Boston University. On semester six, We'll be breaking down the holistic college admissions rubric and highlighting top colleges. So today on Just Admit It, season six, episode one. What is the holistic U.S. college admissions rubric? Joining me today are my friends and colleagues, Krista and Tiffany. Hi, everyone. I'm Krista. I'm a former assistant director of admissions at Johns Hopkins University. Hi everyone, my name is Tiffany and I am a former assistant director of admissions at MIT and at Colgate University. Amazing, thank you so much for joining me today, Krista and Tiffany. So this season on Just Admit It, we're going to take a deep dive into the holistic college admissions process itself, the factors that make up the process and what's changed in recent years. We're also going to spotlight a few top universities with the expertise of Ivy Wise counselors who formerly worked at these universities. So get ready. This is going to be an exciting season and journey through the brains of our experts here at Ivy Wise. For this first episode of the season, we're going to start with a simple question. What is the U.S. Holistic College Admissions Rubric? This is going to be a breakdown of the college admissions process and holistic review. We'll discuss ways in which the process has and hasn't changed and discuss individual elements of the holistic college admissions rubric. So here goes Krista and Tiffany, take it away. Thanks so much, Tasha. Well, first, the very first thing that we start with tends to be your transcript, right? We want to see your grades, your GPA, your curriculum, because let's be honest, every admissions officer's goal is to make sure that you're a very successful alum of their university that they can brag about in future admissions information sessions, right? Um, and in order to do so, you have to be able to navigate the challenging curriculum that's available on that university's campus. Um, and so we want to see how you're engaging with your current curriculum at your current high school. So the most natural way to see that would be your transcript. The transcript tells us so much about you. If you are from a more uh, recently created school, a newer high school, it also tends to have a profile, which is kind of a, a, a cover letter to an admissions officer that explains your curriculum. So your curriculum really matters a lot to an admissions officer, right? In the U.S., there are admissions officers that are particularly trained to work with international students. Tasha introduced herself as one of those um, admissions officers. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I have a French curriculum or a curriculum that is very particular to my area of the world or very particular to my school, it's okay. Admissions officers stop and take note um, to pay attention to your curriculum. So what's 
really important to us when we're thinking about your curriculum. We look at what was available at your school and then what did you choose to take? We want to see students that are not afraid of the challenge. They're leaning into the challenge, right? We want to make sure that you're, you're, you're taking advantage of rigor. We want to see that you're taking advantage of unique opportunities, especially in the area that you hope to major in. So those are some of the things that we look out for um, definitely in a transcript. But what are your thoughts, Krista? Yeah, that's a really great point, right? Not every high school offers the exact same opportunities. Some high schools have APs, right? That's really common in the US. Some high schools are in the IB program where you can choose which higher levels you want to take. Um, some schools allow you to take classes at local community colleges, right? And so there's a lot of different types of curriculum out there. And so uh, like you just said, right, we're, we're looking at how you are taking advantage of the curriculum that you had at your fingertips. And, you know, if you are a STEM in student, right, you want to be maximizing the challenging courses in math and sciences. So that way you can be best prepared for your potential major, right? And vice versa. If you're really in love with foreign languages. You want to be maximizing that or even potentially doubling up on foreign languages, right? So thinking through what is offered to you, but also what is offered to you within the areas that you're interested in. And it's not only the classes that you're taking, it's also the grades that you're getting in those classes, right? A common question we get is, um, is it better to get a B in an AP class or an A in an honors or regular level class? And the answer we used to give them, I worked at Hopkins was the best is to get an A in a AP class, right? So it's really at the end of the day though about maximizing your rigor given what you're interested in so you really need to be challenging yourself but also trying to do your best within those challenging courses right and then also looking at your overall gpa within your high school different gpas are out there some high schools are on an 100 scale some are on you know a um regular 4.0 unweighted some have weights and that weight can look very different right so when you hear people say i have a you know, four, six GPA out of context that actually doesn't really mean that much. You need to look at how the high school weights the classes, right? Um, when you're looking at colleges, one thing that's very helpful is to look at their average admitted students GPAs. And oftentimes that's on an unweighted scale. So it'll, you know, it'll say something like every student who, or not every student, but the average student who is admitted has a 3.9 out of 4.0, right? So that tells you the grades they're getting in their classes if it's unweighted, but it's not telling you the types of classes they're taking because so many high schools have different curriculums. So that's really the only way to make it fully apples to apples because there's so many different high schools, curriculums and GPA scales across the US and across the world. And so like Tiffany was saying, we all, as admissions officers, had specialized regions, whether that was in the U.S., whether that was international, that where we knew the high schools, we knew what was offered. So we knew when students were challenging themselves, how they were doing in the classes. And so that's really important to know. I know that's one anxiety I hear from a lot of students is, you know, my high school doesn't offer a lot of APs or my high school doesn't offer this. Um, you know, how am I going to be evaluated? And just know that in the holistic review process, it really is about the context. Now there is one big piece of the holistic re review process that is apples to apples across the entire world and that's standardized testing. Do you wanna dive into that a little bit more, Tiffany? Standardized testing is my favorite thing to talk about but my least favorite thing to talk about. 
it's my favorite thing to talk about because it, it just is what it is, right? The number doesn't lie. But with that being said, I'm disappointed by how much time, how much energy, how much effort a high school student will put into attaining that score while it takes an admissions officer just a matter of moments to, to really review the score. The score is the score. And so what I'm talking about really is the SAT or the ACT. Often this information, the SAT score or the ACT score just really highlights or reinforces an admissions officer's opinion about your academic performance. But with that being said, the transcript is the most important piece of your application. It is the most important qualifying or disqualifying element of your entire application. Contrary to most and popular belief, it is not the SAT or the ACT score. The SAT or the ACT, a student should feel comfortable with either. The test is not preferred by one university over another university. For example, most universities have a concordance table that allows them to see the difference between an SAT score or an ACT score and convert them back and forth. You should also really be aware of if a university even requires a testing score right now. Hot off the presses in early March, Columbia University announced that they're going to be test optional indefinitely. Uh, just the other day, William and Mary in Virginia also announced that they're going to test optional indefinitely. So the testing score is a part of your application, but it's not the whole part of your application. You could actually submit your applications without your testing scores. It's really important to note and understand a university's testing policy, though. You don't want to be um, outside of their compliance. So for example, my old institution, MIT, went back to requiring an SAT or an ACT score. That's really important that you understand their policies. Um, whereas in some university systems, like the UC system currently, they are test blind, meaning they're not going to consider your score even if you submit a really, really awesome testing score. So my advice here in terms of standardized testing would be take a look at your curriculum in your high school. Start to plan your SAT or ACT testing plan, right? Um, plan early. If you're an underclassman, it's okay to start prepping um, and preparing for these exams. We have a bunch of resources um, on our website, IvyWise. We also have great um, tutors or support that can help you kind of get started, but also to develop your plan in terms of testing. So something to consider because admissions officers definitely consider your standardized testing should you um, submit your scores as part of your application. But we're also understanding your environment, where you're coming from. That also considers um, and means your school, right? Your school environment. Think about your current school environment. Are you coming from a large public school, hundreds of students, right? Are you coming from a specialized high school, maybe a school that specializes in technology or the arts, maybe a school that specializes in rhetoric or um, religion? All of those things are taken into consideration by an admissions officer. Right after we evaluate your transcripts and your standardized testing scores, I think we get into what I call like the fun stuff, which would be your extracurricular activities. I often say to my students that I work with, 
I want to see how you, will you survive the classroom? That's the first part with your transcript, your standardized testing scores. So survive. And then the next piece that I'm evaluating as an admissions officer would be those things that are happening outside of the classroom, your extracurricular activities. So surviving the classroom, thriving in my community, surviving and thriving. How do we evaluate your extracurriculars, those activities that you're involved in outside of the classroom? It's actually one of my favorite things to talk about. We used to love these well-rounded students that just did a little bit of everything. But now we think that it's really important to be pointy, right? It's important to just pick an activity and get involved. We love to see when students are deeply involved in activities that authentically give them pleasure and passion and interest, right? We love to see sustained involvement. I don't want any of my juniors or my seniors listening to this podcast to panic and just throw some spaghetti on the wall and get involved in every single club. That really doesn't do it. We would rather see sustained involvement, doing something that you love for a continued amount of time, rather than these superficial activities where you just kind of sign up and it makes no impact. Think about your impact. Remember that you're joining a community of scholars, a community of students and staff members and faculty members. We're trying to figure out what kind of neighbor will you be? Will you be involved? Will you be invested? Krista, I can talk on and on about this. What do you think about extracurricular activities? Yeah, I mean, think about it this way. Your classes, you only get so much choice, right? But your activities are really where you have the space to dive into where you're genuinely interested, right? And so that's throughout the school year, even over the summer. So whether that's an official organization or even you starting your own initiative, don't don't think within the box. You can ha you can do things that are not even offered at your school yet, or you can lead your own project, right? There was a student I worked with who created their own computer from scratch, right? Um, so think through what you're genuinely passionate about. And I know that sounds corny, but it's true, right? Think about how you want to, it's really about getting hands-on skills, right? It's getting hands-on experience with what you're interested in. It's also learning soft skills, right? How do you collaborate? How do you face challenges, right? How do you lead others? Those are all the things that you're going to gain from your extracurriculars, even more so than your classes. And so I always used to think about if I brought the student to campus, how would they get involved, right? And as you know, you were saying, Tiffany, I want students who will bring many different types of things to campus. I don't want all students who look the same, right? So that's why it's really important to dive in deep into your interest area. And then also we're talking about activities, but another way for admissions officers to learn what's important to you or learn more about who you'd be on campus is through your CAPS or your Common Application Personal Statement. That's the main essay you're going to send to most, if not every single college that you apply to. And that's a really great way for us to imagine you on our campus, right? I highly, highly recommend, especially for the juniors out there listening to this podcast, is to look at the Essays That Worked page on my alma mater, Hopkins website. That was hand-picked page with essays that we thought were truly standouts. So, and that's a great way to start to get your wheels turning to think about what you might want to write about. But the common application prompts are the same from last year to this year. So definitely for the juniors, really think through the different prompts and 
create exercises for yourself, right? Think through what you might answer to different questions. But going back to the holistic review, that's a really great way. That essay is a great way for us to understand who you'd be outside the classroom. And once again, that's sent to a lot of different colleges. So colleges will also then go ahead and a lot of the times ask a supplemental essay or more. And that's where they're really understanding who you would be as a student at their specific college. And so it's these essays really need to be specific. They need to be tailored to that specific institution. And different institutions will ask very different types of questions. But at the end of the day, it's really all to come back and learn how you'd be a match for their university. I like to joke that admissions officers are matchmakers, right? They wanna understand that you're a good fit for them. And so a great example, University of Chicago, they asked really interesting out there kind of questions. So one last year was uh, Genghis Khan and an F1 race car, George Washington with a super soaker, uh, Nero with a toaster, Da Vinci with a Furby. If you could give any historical figure any piece of technology, what would it be? Who would it be? And why do you think it would work so well together? Right on the surface, that question is like, how does this have anything to do with colleges? But at the end of the day, they're really looking for students who think outside the box, who are really quirky and nerdy in the best way. And so that question is looking for students who have that quality to them. If you're writing this essay and you're really struggling, maybe that's a sign that it's not a fit for you, right? And that's okay. There will be colleges that have much more straightforward questions. Like uh, Brown asks, essentially, it's much longer worded than this, but why us and our open curriculum, right? And so that's much more straightforward of you can talk about specific classes and research experiences, et cetera. So when you're looking at the different supplemental questions, keep in mind that's how they're matchmaking. Like Tiffany, you were saying, it's not about just being able to do the classes and get involved in campus, but is this really the right campus for you, given your values, what you're looking for in an education? And that's where the supplemental questions come in. And so really pay attention to those, right? There are a lot of students who write it last second, um, but that's actually, in my experience, sometimes even more than the personal statement, what's going to be a tipping factor. Do you understand why this institution is a fit for you? Even at Hopkins, we had a why Hopkins question worded very differently, but that's at the end of the day what it was. And students would say, oh, I'm so excited for the undergrad nursing program. Well, we don't have nursing, so, <laughs> so it's not a fit for you, right? So, so really pay attention to those questions because those do matter in the admissions process. They're not asking that just to give you more work, even if it's a random seeming question like the U Chicago. Um, it's really to do that matchmaking process. And another way too is how, how you're engaging in the classroom and how you're engaging in your current community. And we're going to learn that through your letters of recommendation. So I know that was one of my favorite parts, reading how the students currently engage in their classroom. And so Tiffany, what do you think about letters of recommendation? Absolutely. Krista, like I think of the essay and the other parts of the application as the student's chance to tell their story. But when they're telling their story, they're witnesses. So the letters of recommendations tend to come from your college counselor or guidance counselor or a school administrator, and then up to two letters of recommendations from current teachers or teachers that you've had in more recent years. Um, and these letters are kind of testimonials, I guess you would say. They tend to not only reference and refer to your academic ability, of course, but also really note who you are as a person. 
I think great letters of recommendation tend to give us some context about the school, tend to give us some context around uh, your academic performance in the school in general, and also definitely inside of the classroom, but they also speak to who you are as a person. After being a director of college counseling in a high school for many years, almost a decade, I think students would be surprised that I noticed them. I understood who they were as a freshman, as a sophomore. I've seen them grow and develop. I can note how much they engage as a member of my community when they make my day brighter and better simply by being who they are. So when you're thinking about um, your letters of recommendation, please, please, please think outside of the box outside of the context or the idea that I should approach the person in which um, I've earned the best grade in their course. A great letter of recommendation comes from someone who really understands you in multiple ways. Not only understands your academic engagement in a particular topic, maybe it's your favorite topic, but I would also say a great letter of recommendation can come from a teacher that in a course or in a subject in which it's not your favorite topic, and maybe you've, I'm gonna use the word struggled, but maybe you've shown the most amount of resilience in this course. So when you're thinking of letters of recommendation, I encourage you to think about the way in which someone, a teacher and a counselor can really help paint your story or um, be a testimony to your character, if you will. It's really helpful if this person has taught you in an academic setting, when you're thinking of teachers of uh, letters of recommendations from teachers. Um, so that's really important. Make sure that there's someone who's actually taught you or evaluated you. And the more recent this person has had this experience, the better. If you are a junior um, or maybe even a senior listening to this, Hopefully you've changed from your freshman year, right? So really the junior year tends to be a sweet spot. If you have to go back to sophomore year, then okay. Uh, senior year might not be enough time if this teacher has just um, gotten to know you. Perhaps they also have taught you in the classroom, but they're also a great club sponsor, a research mentor, or an advisor. These uh, uh, different layers to a letter of recommendation add to a richness, a great um, fit, if you will. Uh, Letter of recommendation, when a teacher takes time to write and advocate on your behalf, they're helping us see the entire story, but they're also helping us see how you may fit with the our current college or university. So for example, at MIT, we require two letters of recommendation, one from a math or science teacher, and then the other from a um, humanities or arts or think history, English, anything of that nature. We're trying to understand who you are as a person, but overall, we're hoping that to assess your fit in our college or university. MIT, it's not a surprise, it tends to be a little STEM focused. So we're trying to understand um, how you might be involved or fit into many aspects about the personality of the university. For example, MIT's motto, mens et manus, means mind and hand. A lot of what MIT might be looking for would be not only are you capable of understanding really complex theories and, and, and problems, but 
Are you able, willing, and interesting to get involved um, and do something about it? It's both the mind and the hand. Uh, through your essays, uh, through your extracurriculars, uh, these are all ways that we can kind of understand your college fit, but there are a couple of other ways, right, Krista? Yeah, so these it's really important to understand the different um, values and personality traits of colleges, because like people, they're all different. Even, you know, you might go to information sessions, and they might start sounding similar, but at the very core, there are going to be differences. And so understanding that fit is really important. And one way to start to understand that fit is by engaging in the college. So um, understanding how to um, learn more about the college is important even in itself, right? So just Googling is not going to necessarily give you all the information you need. I would definitely start by joining the college's mailing list that will give you emails and different um, ways to keep updated with the college. Um, another way is to actually go to campus if you can. Um, that's the best way. See current students, even go on a tour with current students, meet the admissions officers. Um, that'll be a great way to understand what they're doing um, on campus. Maybe there's new things coming, right? You'll get tidbits about, you know, this new STEM building that's being built, right? And that you wouldn't necessarily get online. Um, they do keep track of your attendance as well. And if you're joining the mailing list, like I mentioned, they'll be able to see that um, if it's tied to the same email that you use when you go to apply. Um, you'll also want to, if they have open houses or specialty events, at Hopkins, we used to have events for business-oriented students and humanities students and um, females in engineering, right? So different types of events, maybe there's one that would be really specific to your interests. So take a look out for that. Um, you want to follow the colleges and social media. That's a great way to see what's going on now. Maybe there's events happening on campus or traditions. Um, you want to also see if the admissions officers are coming to your school. Maybe they are coming to visit. We used to spend weeks and weeks on, on the road, as we called it, going to visit different high schools. And so being able to meet with that admissions officer, even in your own school, might be an option. And so take a look out for those information sessions. Um, there also tend to be college fairs in a lot of the big cities in the country. So look at if there are college fairs where there are hundreds of colleges going and you can learn about a lot at once. Um, a lot of colleges will also offer admissions interviews. Sometimes it's with admissions officers, sometimes it's alumni, sometimes it's current students, but that's a really great way to learn about the university from the perspective, you know, if it's an alum or a current student, of their lived experiences, right? Um, that's a really great way to get insight into what it's really like to be there. Um, as well as sometimes admissions interviews are evaluative. So sometimes it's used in the admissions process. Sometimes it's just informational. It's just there for you truly to connect with a community member and learn more. Um, so when you're looking at informational or when you're looking at interviews rather, see if it's evaluative or informational. Uh, you can also look at the college web pages. Right, they have a lot of awesome information on there. I mentioned Hopkins has um, essays that worked. Right, a lot of colleges will have awesome resources. So take a look thoroughly at the admissions pages. Take a look at the pages of the colleges that are the uh, departments rather that you're interested in. See if the department has the types of concentrations that you're interested in in that major or the types of classes. Right, because 
every major isn't the same from college to college, right? What's offered. So they have different leanings, they have different um, research opportunities, right? So take a look at what's offered there. Um, and the last way to really show demonstrated interest is applying early decision. <laughs> uh, the early decision is when you're applying saying, if I am admitted to Tiffany University, uh, I will attend Tiffany University. You sign a contract, your parents, your college counselor in your high school. And so that's the best way ultimately to show your interest in a college. And the reason I call I keep calling it interest is because some colleges do track these things. They do track if you open their emails, if you attend events, things like that. Because for them, it's a way to understand how likely you are to attend their institution, right? Uh, the way I talk about it with some of my students is, you wanna be friends with somebody who wants to be friends with you back, right? How much have they texted you? How much have they reached out in class, right? Those are indicators for you to see how much you connect with that person. Same way with colleges. They wanna know, you know, we like you, how much do you like us? And they're more likely to, a lot of colleges who track this demonstrated interest are more likely to admit you if you have shown interest because you're more likely to come. And so showing demonstrated interest, you know, can help you in the admissions process for the colleges that track it, but also it's a great way for you to understand as you're doing all this research, as you're engaging, is this the right fit for you? What are the subtle values and differences between this university and this university, right? Um, it's also a great way for, we talked about supplemental questions and essays earlier. It's a great way for you to really knock those out of the park, right? Because you'll have all this extra information. And so demonstrated interest is not just more work on your end. It really helps you all throughout the college admissions process. So do you have anything to add about that, Tiffany? I'm kind of really thinking about your example of you want to be friends with someone who wants to be friends with you. Like that makes so much sense. And, and I think that it's a great way of um, thinking about the admissions process, but it's a, also a great way of thinking about the rubric as a whole, um, as an admissions office uses this kind of holistic approach to um, the application process. Uh, that's exactly what we're looking for. We're considering friends for many different reasons, right? Uh, you have friends that you study with, you have friends that you um, share interests with. So it's a pretty neat example that you're using. Uh, it's a really great way to think about the holistic admissions rubric um, as a whole. Yeah, I think one question uh, a lot of my students ask me, you know, we've talked about all these different pieces of the holistic review and holistic rubric, right? what's the most important piece? <laughs> That's always a question I'm asked by students. And the way I like to think about it is, it's like you're running a race, right? And the first hurdle is going to be academics. That's the first thing. And then once you get past that, that's when all these other more qualitative pieces come into play, right? The activities, the essays, the letters of recommendation. Once we know you can get over that first hurdle or demonstrated interest. How likely are you to come, right? Those are all the pieces that will tip someone into a class. What I wanna emphasize is it's not about keeping students out of the class, it's about who's being tipped in and that changes the mindset. And so the first thing is, can you survive academically? And then the next piece is, okay, what about this student is going to make them an amazing piece of our campus fabric, right? And that's really what the holistic review process is. It's much more than just your grades and your testing. 
So there's the hard factors there or the quantitative pieces, but then there's the qualitative pieces. There's how did you take advantage of the opportunities around you? How did you dive into what you're interested in? How did you get those soft skills and hands-on experiences? And are you a match, right? Is what we offer going to match what you're looking for and what you need in a college? So my answer, it's a long-winded way of saying, of course, academics are going to be the number one thing you need. But beyond that, there's really not one specific thing that's going to be a make or break in the admissions process. Tiffany, do you have anything to add or would you agree with Krista's answer? And this is Tasha again. I know you haven't heard from me in a while. I was really thinking that it is a trick question. Um, rather than it being the most important piece, I think tend to think of the question of what is my favorite piece? Um, and they, they're all a piece of a puzzle. All of the pieces are needed. Have you ever had a puzzle that's just missing one piece? It's pretty frustrating, right? Um, so I tend to tell you that every single piece, it might even just be the corner edge that doesn't really include the whole picture, but it's all needed in order to complete this puzzle of what we're considering. So this rubric, um, it is really important. And, and I just really want to help students understand that they can put all of these pieces together. Of course, here at Ivy Wise, we have, you know, counselors that work with students um, to support them, even as, you know, a wise start program, you to help you start to think about what you should be thinking about. And then even into an upperclassman as a junior in your senior year that we help you kind of really put the bow on the things that you've already included in the package, right? We help you kind of personalize and express it in a, in a, in a correct way or the most efficient way. But I would say that every part of this rubric is pretty important. I'm just going to pitch that question to you, Tasha. Um, what do you think? Yeah, of course. Uh, so I agree that exactly with what Krista said about uh, that race analogy, that was really great, you know, in terms of what is the most, what's the first hurdle that you'll have to tackle on that race. But but to answer the what is my favorite part, uh, certainly after academics and, you know, capacity to, to succeed academically, I would say is, is the writing. Um, I do think that the that qualitative factor of uh, the common application personal statement, as well as the uh, essay supplements for each individual college, uh, just bring so much to the table and really give admissions officers an opportunity to really get to know students beyond uh, the numbers. I know it can be sometimes one of the more intimidating factors because it's so open-ended and, and really kind of requires a certain amount of, of creativity, but I think it's a really good opportunity uh, for you to, to just take on personal essay writing in general. Uh, you know, that's a whole field of creative writing and writing itself and something that I'm actually quite interested in, something I really enjoy working with my, with my students on as an Ivy counselor is learning how to talk and write about yourself, right? And that's actually a skill that's going to come in handy far into the future in your uh, professional lives. You know, an interview is essentially in a lot of ways kind of a, a spoken personal essay, I mean, a little in a more professional way, but I, I do think that the common application personal statement for, for some people ends up being kind of an entryway into personal essay writing in general as, as a, a larger interest. So I'd encourage you to see it as, as kind of a fun opportunity to kind of try on a new hobby and learn how to, to speak and write about yourself. But all that said, it's only one of the many elements that we've discussed today. And it's definitely one of uh, the qualitative and kind of softer factors that we talk about when we discuss hard and soft factors. 
things. Uh, so as Tiffany said, it is kind of a trick question. We can't really point to one element that's the most important, but I guess as counselors, we can each have kind of our favorites. Uh, so with all of that, I do just want to take a moment and pause and, and just make sure that everyone is on the same page about what we're discussing. So we are discussing the U.S. Holistic College Admissions Rubric, and I just wanted to, to ask Tiffany and Krista, you know, what happens if we're talking about schools in other parts of the world, like the U.K. or something like that? Does this uh, rubric that we just discussed apply to schools outside of the U.S.? Sure, I'll jump in here. So Outside the U.S., there are a lot of countries that are much more focused on the hard factors. So the grades, the testing, um, even the essays are different, right? We, Tasha, you we were just talking about creative writing and how wonderful that can be for that exposure. Some um, colleges, a lot of colleges uh, across the world, outside the U.S., are looking for, if they, if they require an essay, something much more straightforward. I want to major in this because X, Y, Z, here's my experiences with that, right? Um, so when you're writing the essay for the UK schools, for example, that is much more straightforward in the type of essay that they're looking for and compared to the common app personal statement, right? And so there are slight differences or even big differences depending on the college system we're talking about compared to the US holistic review process. Some colleges in the world, it's just you know, based on your grades and your testing, it's not really about much else, right? So once again, I'm glad that you clarified, Tasha, that we're talking about the U.S. holistic review process. And something else I want to talk about too is how much your major of interest comes into account can also be very different across institutions or across uh, countries rather. So for example, in the U.K., you're applying for that major. You're not going to switch out, right? You're going to go for that major versus in the U.S., you might have the ability to have a year up to two years to decide what you want to major in. And so when you put, I want to major in chemical engineering on your application, you might be able to choose between engineerings and get exposure at, I'm just going to use Hopkins, for example, you had until the end of your freshman year to make that decision to try out different classes. So yes, you were applying generally for chemical engineering, but or biomedical engineering, but you had the option to switch into something else. UK schools or a lot of schools around the, the world, it's very, very different than that. So, and even in the US, the amount of flexibility that you have really differs by institutions. Some are very, very flexible, like my alma mater. Some are not, right? So you want to make sure you know that going in. Um, and so that's a big difference between the US and the UK. Yeah, thank you so much, Krista. Tiffany, did you have something to add? I just wanted to kind of, um, another area of distinction would be that in the US, uh, in terms of our rubrics, when it comes to standardized testing, we tend to have ranges, but definitely no cutoff, so to speak, right? Uh, if we're comparing it specifically to the UK system, the UK uh, can be very clear on the goal and the number, the score that you need to achieve um, or else. <laughs> so uh, cutoffs are, are familiar and popular in other systems and other rubrics, whereas in we tend to have scales and guidelines. For example, the UK system for some uh, universities, they will have a cutoff on the AP score you need to achieve or the A-level score that you need to achieve and the amount of A-level scores in that particular area or subject, uh, just much more rigid in their testing. Um, whereas in the U.S., it might be a suggestion or a guideline or a um, an average. 
Great. Thank you so much for answering that final question. So, wow, we've discussed so much, and I think we've really been able to break down the meaning of the question, what is the U.S. Holistic College Admissions rubric? So I just want to acknowledge that this might be bringing up lots of questions for folks, maybe more questions than answers, although I hope just as many answers. Um, so I want to encourage everyone to please check out our knowledge base on the Ivy Wise website. It includes the Ivy Wise blog and all five past seasons of Just Admit It. We've also been getting questions from our social media, and we really encourage you to continue to submit those questions. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at follow IvyWise. Now, here's one question that we recently received on Instagram. And the question is, are overseas applicants treated the same as US applicants? So Krista and Tiffany, who wants to tackle this one? Sure, I think that that question really um, varies by institution, um, but the short answer is no, they're not. Um, and you don't want us to treat you the same because we, you would like an admissions officer to really understand your environment, your context, your community. Um, and in that sense, they're not treated the same way. We tend to, many admissions offices will tend to understand a certain region of the world at the same time. So just even by the order in which they review applicants or the um, reader or the admissions officer that they have review your applicants. We really want to make sure that there are quote unquote experts or admissions officers that are really familiar with your environment, your community, your school context. So to be frank, no, you're not treated just the same as a student in the U.S. Amazing. Yeah, I think that's totally right. And as Tiffany mentioned earlier, I, I was specialized in working with international students specifically at my past institutions. And I think, you know, the name of the game is remembering that no matter where you're coming from, we're really looking at you within your context, whether it's a domestic U.S. context or an international context. And then I also just want to add that, of course, uh, for the U.S., you know, English language proficiency is definitely a big factor. So you just want to make sure that you're paying attention to the requirements at the different universities that you're applying to, uh, depending on the country that you're coming from, if English is not your native language, and maybe if you haven't been in an English-speaking curriculum in high school, you'll definitely want to uh, consider taking one of those English language proficiency exams as required by most uh, U.S. universities. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this episode of Just Admit It for season six. Uh, so please stay tuned for a new episode coming out every other week throughout the spring. In the meantime, you can catch up on all of our previous episodes by visiting our podcast page. And again, be sure to bookmark our knowledge base for additional help with navigating the complex and competitive admissions process. If there are any topics you'd like us to cover in the next semester, please suggest them. You can email us at podcast at ivywise.com. And don't forget to follow us on socials again for more resources on the higher ed landscape. That's at follow IvyWise on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you so much to Krista and Tiffany. Bye, everyone. Thanks for joining us. It was a great conversation, and I hope to see you log in and tune in to the next one. Bye, everyone. Thanks for coming. From IvyWise, I'm your host, Tasha, and this has been Just Admit It. See you next time.